If you have your Bibles or your smartphones, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse 29, and you can just keep it open there because I'm going to talk about it for just a minute. Verse 29 says this. If you don't have it, just watch and read on the screen. For from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him, and all along he knew who would, should become like his son. Now, here's, here's what this is saying. If you've ever wondered why you're here, why you're on the planet, this verse tells you one of the reasons that you were created, one of the reasons that you were put on the earth. It's right here. To become like Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, before the world was created, before God spoke the universe into existence, before God created the first human beings, it says that, that those who came to God, who came to Him, and all along God knew, He's all-knowing, He knew who would come to Him. And the purpose of you being born was so that you would become like Jesus Christ. So then the question becomes, how do I do that? How do I grow spiritually? That's what we're going to look at today. On your listening guide, you've got a set of concentric circles. And basically, there are four ways to grow spiritually. And I want to identify these for you and want you to write these out. At the very center is alone time with God. Alone with God. Next one out is one-on-one with God. One-to-one. Or one-to-one with another person, another Christian, sorry. The next circle is small group time. And the largest circle is large group time. Of those four times, which one are you participating in this morning? Large group. You can worship in this crowd, but you cannot fellowship in this crowd. We have to have smaller groups in order to fellowship. Now, I believe Jesus Christ modeled these four types of relationships when he was on the earth. If you remember, many times in Scripture it says that Jesus withdrew to a lonely place to pray by himself, one-on-one time with God. How many, how many followers, you, you probably know this, how many followers did Jesus have? The close followers. We call them apostles. Twelve. Of the twelve, there were how many that he, he spoke to sometimes in a smaller group? Three. Who were they? Peter, James, and John. Often he would take Peter, James, and John off and he would give them special teaching. We know that there were even times that he would call out Peter and talk to him one-on-one. There were other times where he talked to people one-on-one. So Jesus modeled that. We know he had small group. We know he had alone time with God. We know he had one-to-one time with, with believers. And we also know that he taught sometimes to some very large groups. One time when he fed how many people? 5,000. Another time he fed 4,000. So we know that he had huge groups as well. Jesus modeled this. And so my question for you today is, how many of these four types of, of, of four areas of growth are you participating in? Because if you're not concentrating on all four, then I can just tell you this. You are not growing to be the person that God wants you to be. You cannot be who God wants you to be by yourself. Yes, you can worship God by yourself, but that's not all God intended for us to be. In the beginning, when it says, God says, let us make humans in our image. He's talking to God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. They are in community. And one of the deepest desires that God wired inside you is to know other people and to be known whether you're ever married or not. God wants you to be in community. And if you're suffering in the area of community, you're not growing spiritually the way God desires for you to grow. And so we need others to help us grow spiritually, and that's why the, the memory verse, we'll hand out a memory verse card at the end of the service as well, is 1 Thessalonians 5.11, which says, so encourage each other and build each other up. How many of you say you cannot memorize that verse? Don't you raise your hands. Don't you raise your hands. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine words. Come on. You can memorize that. Now, what we're going to learn today about relationships, you can use to help your family grow. 
You can use to help your children grow. You can use to help your friends grow. You can use to help your small group, your coworkers. This is a universal principle that we're going to be talking about today. And if you will apply it, not only will you grow, but people in your life will begin to grow spiritually. So let's look at this. Number one, how do we grow spiritually or how do we help each other grow? By affirming each other's value. This is huge. If we just got this one right, people would start to grow spiritually. Because people are dying for someone to affirm their value. They're dying for someone to notice them, to pay attention to them. I mean, how else do you explain reality TV? The ridiculous things, situations people will put themselves in simply to be known. Simply to have somebody clap and say, oh, you're that... If I were talking to them, you're that idiot who did that on national TV. I don't understand. People want to be affirmed. And when we practice affirming the value in another person, what we're doing is exactly what Jesus Christ did on, on this planet. You, you think about this. Jesus didn't spend most of his time with the religious people. Jesus would walk around and he would find messed up people. And after they had an encounter with Jesus, not only did they feel better about themselves, because he, he made them feel better about themselves, but he also called what they did sin. He, just very, he was very bold in saying, go and sin no more to the woman uh, caught in adultery. But after they left, they felt better about themselves and they also turned their back on their sins because of Jesus affirming their value, their worth as a human being, as a creation of God. Just think about the implications if we began to do this on a regular basis in our small groups. Would your small group grow? You better believe it because people are looking for affirmation. Would your children grow if you affirmed their value on a regular basis? Yes, the answer is yes. That's not a trick question. Would your marriage grow if you spent time affirming each other's value? Yes. Well, let's talk specifically how we're going to do God's work. Because he says, if you'll do this work, you get to be in on what he has planned for the planet. So how do we do that? Well, your first uh, bullet there is by accepting. We have to accept other people as they are. You are not the Holy Spirit. There is a job description for the Holy Spirit. There is one who has that job and it's not you. You ever tried to be the Holy Spirit in somebody's life? You may not have realized it, but you have. I've told people before, thank you for trying to be the Holy Spirit in my life. But you're not Him. So back off. We accept, and look what it says in Romans fifteen seven: Christ accepted you, so you should accept each other. Which will bring glory to God. You really want to bring glory to God, you begin to accept people like Jesus did. You accept them where they are. Now, Jesus likes you too much to leave you where you are. Nobody had an encounter with Jesus and, and was not changed. They were changed because he loved them. He, he lovingly uh, helped them move from where they were to where he wanted them to be. And they never forgot it. And they were radically cha changed because of the encounter. But you and I aren't always like Christ, are we? You uh, on-time people. How do you do, how do you deal with the timed, time challenged people in your life? You do not show any type of mercy, do you? You judge them and you look down on them and you give them looks when they're like, and by the way, I'm an on time person. I struggle with this. Those of you who don't know what a watch is, don't know what time, I struggle with this. But according to Christ, we've got to accept people where they are. Whew. I'm going to accept you. If you're a neat freak, how do you look on uh, people who are cluttered? I'm a cluttered person. I'm on time, but I'm cluttered. 
half the time you cannot get in my office, much less, you know, come in there and have a conversation with me. Those of you who are neat freaks, how do you look at people who are cluttered? You judge me, don't you? Uh-huh. You very secretly, or sometimes not so secretly, you keep a list of all of my clutters. And you think, how could a preacher be so cluttered? Or maybe it's not me, maybe it's somebody else in your life. And you look at their piles and you keep score. And the reason we do this is because we want others to live up to our strengths. We are very good at overlooking our own weaknesses, but we want everyone else to come up to our strengths. And when they don't, we make note of it. And then we walk off and we pat ourselves on the back and say, I'm not doing so bad compared to him. My house doesn't look like that. I don't have clutters. I'm on time. Or whatever your issue is, whatever your strength is. Um, Let me give you a better way to feel good about yourself. See, we pat ourselves on the back when others don't measure up to us. We think we're pretty good. Let me give you a better way to feel good on the inside. Spend just a little bit of time building someone else up. If we spent half the time encouraging others that we do in putting them down, our spiritual lives would soar because we would be like Jesus Christ. We would reflect Christ to others. Look at Romans 14.10. It says, Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. I love, I've got three kids and I love my kids. And I tell them all the time, Caleb's my oldest, and I say there's not another young man on the planet that I would choose to be my son. If I could choose from all of them out there, I'd choose Caleb. I tell my girls all the time, Rachel and Hannah, there's not another girl I want to be my Rachel. There's not another girl I want on the planet to be my Hannah. I would choose you. If I could go back, we used to play this as a game, but I I still tell them, I choose you. I want you in my family. And I love my kids. I love my wife. But you want to tick me off, children, that I love? Come to me and accuse one of your siblings. Come to me and point out the faults of your siblings. Because as a parent, I'm very aware of the faults of your siblings. I'm also very aware of your faults as your parent. And I love you anyway. And the quickest way to tick me off is for me to bring you into my presence and you say, yeah, but my brother Caleb did this. Am I talking to Caleb? No, sir. So don't you be talking about Caleb. I'm aware of what Caleb... I want to know what you did. According to this verse, it says, why do you look down on another believer? God feels the exact same way when we as believers accuse other believers. He says, I'm very aware of what's going on in their life and I am God and I'm working on them. How dare you accuse another believer? Because you're going to stand before me one day. And when you stand before God, you will stand before God. And and you don't get to say, well, at least I'm better than Wes. At least I'm better than Jeff. I'm better than Zach. Come on. You know what God's going to say? How dare you accuse one of my children? I want to talk about you. You understand what we've been doing? See, Jesus was the encourager. Jesus was the acceptor. You know who the accuser is in Scripture? Satan. And when we as believers look down on other believers and accuse them, we're actually doing Satan's job for him. And Satan smiles. And our churches are filled with accusers doing Satan's work. And God desires more from us. 
Somebody get excited about that. We are held to a higher standard than the devil. And I'm sick and tired of our churches being filled with accusers. Jesus taught a story about that. He said, you ought to look at your own life and take care of your own life before you begin accusing someone else. Let's make this real personal. If you're involved in small groups, and if you're not, shame on you. <laughs> okay, if you're in small groups, we had about 90 people here last night to begin, uh, last Sunday to begin our small groups. Who is it in your small group that you have a hard time accepting? Do not look at them. Do not point. Don't do that. Have you ever stopped to realize maybe God put them in your group so that you can help them grow spiritually? And if you'd stop being so arrogant and criticizing, maybe God wants to help you grow through them. You ever stop to consider that? God teaches us to love by putting us around people that sometimes aren't easy to love. By people who are different from us. He uses them as holy sandpaper to help us change. And here's the big deal. It's impossible to reject someone and help them grow spiritually at the same time. So we're not going to be about rejecting. We may not necessarily approve of what they do, but we're not going to accuse them because there is an accuser, but there's also one who's speaking on their behalf, and that's the one who created them. Don't be in opposition with God when it comes to your brother or sister in Christ. All right, so we've got to accept letter B or the actually your second bullet by paying attention, paying attention. We talked a whole lot about this in week two of this series when we talked about paying attention. And so if you need to get that, you get that. But here's the deal. Paying attention requires more time and energy than just accepting. You can accept someone and totally ignore them. And God wants more from a properly functioning biblical community. In Galatians 6.10, Paul is talking to the church at Galatia and he says, we should give special attention to those who are in the family of believers. I want you to notice those words, special attention. This is one of the benefits of being a member of a local church. You get more attention from your other brothers and sisters in Christ than people who are outside the church. Whatever you pay special attention to grows. If you pay special attention to your garden, if I pay special attention to my garden, it grows most summers when we have rain for, you know, more than once every six months. If you pay attention to your kids, they grow and mature if you pay special attention to them. If, you space, if I pay special attention to my marriage, my marriage grows and begins to flourish. If I pay special attention to my work, then my work grows. If I pay special attention to my small group, my small group grows. The only place this principle doesn't work is with my hair. I paid special attention... And it didn't work, but you get the idea. What I want you to do is I want you to look for opportunities this week to pay special attention to Christ followers and build them up. So we accept, we pay attention. Next bullet is by showing affection. And by this, I mean appropriate physical touch. There is a non-sexual physical touch. Now, maybe you've never heard about babies, but I think you probably have. Babies that, that develop something called failure to thrive syndrome. Babies need human touch in order to grow and mature naturally. They need to be caressed. They need to be held. They need to be kissed. They need to be snuggled on a regular basis. Or they develop this syndrome called failure to thrive syndrome. 
and they do not grow up normally. And, and most of us would agree with that. But what most of us don't realize is that the need for, for physical touch, appropriate physical touch, never goes away for adults. You need 8 to 10 meaningful touches every day in order to grow and to develop normally as, as, a, as a human being, as an adult. Handshakes, fist bumps, hugs, high fives, pats on the back. Your heavenly father made you to desire appropriate physical touch from someone else. Whether you ever marry or not, whether you ever have sex or not, I'm not talking about sex. I'm just trying to see how many times I can say sex in one paragraph to see if you react. One of my greatest fears is that people who walk in the door back here to our church every week is that the fist bumps, handshakes, hugs they get here are the only appropriate physical touch they receive all week. I hug, I try to hug every teenager that comes in or fist bump them, pat them on the back on Wednesday nights. I try to get around to as many of you as possible and and say hi to you and fist bump, pat you on the back, hug you as many as I can because I often wonder, I often wonder, how long does this hug have to last this person? Are they, are they dying on the inside because nobody has given them appropriate physical touch? So, it just breaks my heart to think that some of you are not getting what you need. So, stand up. Right now, get up. Hug a stranger. Right now, if you don't hug a stranger, I'm going to send the hugging police to invade your personal space. Everybody gets at least one hug from a stranger. And honestly, if you're a member of this church, there's no one stranger than you. So you qualify as a stranger. Now, I have no doubt that there were, uh, there were two reactions to what we just did. Some of you are thinking, I'm never coming to this church again. <laughs> Strangest stinking thing I've ever been a part of. The smarter ones in the group are thinking, next week I'm sitting next to somebody hot. <laughs> please, please, please do this again next week. <clears throat> All right, baby. Bring it on. Now, we're going to talk about There's several types of hugs. There's the man hug. All right, come here, Dusty. Dusty came up and gave me a hug. All right, now this is the man hug. You, you do this, and you get away as quickly as possible. Because men are chicken huggers. They're thinking somebody's looking, and, and I might be thought of as a sissy, so... Ugh, chest out. That's, that's kind of weak. Dusty actually gave me a good hug just a second ago. Now, there are the Hollywood-type huggers. Come here, Rach. It's my daughter, Rachel. All right. The Hollywood huggers, do this, step over here in the light, baby. They, they bend at the waist. Thank you. Now, Hollywood huggers, what they're really doing is they're looking over your shoulder to see if someone more important is there that they need to go greet. That's kind of a chicken hug. Come here, Hannah. Now, Hannah, Hannah and I have a hug that this, this is our hug. Ooh, that's, that's our hug. But, okay. Now, we're going to demonstrate something else. There is the side hug. And the side hug is completely appropriate for those of you you who are married and you are hugging someone of the opposite sex. Completely appropriate. Don't have any problem at all with that. Now, then there's the... uh, That's like a brother or sister hug. 
Okay, so that's appropriate. But then there's the uh, the Nathan Gillis or Drew McQuistian hug. <laughs> I'm not making this up. There are times they will walk up and grab my butt. <laughs> These dudes need therapy. But but I got to be honest. When they do that to me, I feel like I've gotten all eight of my meaningful touches in one time. And I'm very satisfied for the rest of the day. Now, moving on. Let's look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family. Here's the point that I want you to get. We're not like a family. As Christ followers, we are a family. We're actually closer related than the physical family. And we've got to treat one another as special. And you can't just say it. You've got to show it. People know whether you love them or not by the way you act. And we've got to demonstrate our love for one another. Some of you are starving for appropriate touch. And quite honestly, it's why some of you are in immoral sexual relationships right now. Because your affection meter is broken. And you've equated sex with appropriate physical touch. And you think the only way you can be acceptable to someone else is in bed. And nothing could be further from the truth. There's something broken that needs to be made right. And we want to help you make that right. Here at the church. According to the Bible, the only time it is acceptable to have sex is between one man, one woman, when they are married to each other. Okay, because in this crowd, i got to define that. Because somebody, I'm married, you're married. Ah, yeah. No. <laughs> married to each other. Okay? All right. Next bullet. How do we do what Christ wants us to do? By, by verbal appreciation. Appreciation means to raise in value. If you've ever bought a new car, you fully understand depreciation because as soon as you drive off the parking lot, it goes down in value, right? A lot. When we verbally appreciate, we raise something's value. So every time you appreciate somebody, you raise their value to you and to those who are listening to you. When you appreciate your wife, you raise her value. When you appreciate your husband, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your friend, you raise their value. When you appreciate your kids, you raise their value. When you appreciate your small group, you raise their value. Everything appreciates. It increases in value in value when you appreciate it. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 gives us clear instructions. Now, brothers and sisters, that means Christ followers, members of God's family. We ask you to appreciate those who work hard among you, who lead you in the Lord and teach you. When was the last time you thanked a children's worker for giving up their time and staying back there and loving your kids and teaching your kids about Christ while you come in here to big people church and get fed spiritually? When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you walked up to one of our band members who sacrificed time every week to rehearse, to get things right? Because you don't just show up and have five musicians play the same notes and be on the same page. It takes time. When's the last time you verbally appreciated them and said, Today, you helped me worship my Creator, and I thank you for that. When's the last time you went back to one of our guys back there in the computer who do all of this stuff up on the screen to help you learn? Because we try to do all kinds of different learning activities. When you were hugging, we were, that's a learning activity. When you see things, 
When's the last time you told one of the computer people, thank you for being here early because they get here about 9.30 on a Sunday morning. We don't start till 11. Well, there's lots of stuff that goes on between 9 and 11 before we ever start. When's the last time you thank the sound person? Because they can mess things up. But they also make it possible for you to hear. And 99% of the time, you don't even realize they're back there because they do their job so well. When's the last time you thanked somebody for serving you? When's the last time you thanked someone who sacrifices their time and their talents and their money so that we have this church service on a regular basis? Because there are people, there are crazy givers in this church. There are people that, that gave well over $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 last year to New Life Community Church so that people who are far from God could come and hear. They believe in the local church so much that they gave thousands and thousands of dollars. When is the last time you thanked somebody for giving on your behalf? We have to verbally appreciate. And the thought does not count. What's the thought that counts? No, it's not. Maturity is more than thinking I ought to do the right thing. Spiritual maturity is actually putting into practice what we know is right, whether we feel like it or not. Okay, all that was point one. Point two. By praying for each other's growth. Now, this is a big deal. What do we usually pray for? We don't usually pray for each other's growth. We pray for each other's needs. It is highly appropriate that we pray for for Jackie Pena today because she lost everything. She has some physical needs. But there are actually some deeper issues that she and all of us have. And they're spiritual issues. They're growth issues. When's the last time you prayed for someone's character to be formed to look like Christ? When's the last time you prayed for your children to come to know Christ? When's the last time you prayed for someone to react the way Jesus Christ would react in the situation so someone who is lost and bound for hell would realize there is a God? There are some deeper, longer lasting issues than just our needs. Yes, we pray for needs. I used to get so tired of prayer meetings because it was 800 pages of Aunt Susie's cat's cousin's cat is going to have hip replacement surgery. Would you pray for the cat? I'm sorry. I'm not praying for that. I'm sorry. I'm just... I love animals, but you know. You like cats or you hate cats? He doesn't like cats. So Chad's not praying for it. Chad and I are not praying for your cat. Okay? Go to somebody else who likes cats. They'll pray for your cat. Do you understand what I'm talking about? There's a deeper need. So what I want to do is I want to show you from Scripture how you can begin praying for your, the people in your life. Your friends, your loved ones, your children. You pray Scripture. God responds. Look at Ephesians 3.18. All of these are on your listening guide. I pray you'll be able to feel and understand how long, how wide, how deep, and how high His love really is. There is someone in your world that is struggling right now. They are alone right now and they need to know how deep God's love is. And in fact, I prayed this one for Jackie this morning. God, would you show Jackie how high and wide and deep your love for her really is? Make it personal. Stick their name in there. There's somebody you know right now who needs that prayer. Hebrews 13, 21. I pray that God will make you ready to obey him and that he will always be eager to do what what is right. You will always be eagle. eagle. Slow down. I pray that <laughs> that God will make you ready to obey him and that you will always be eager to do right. Parents, pray this for your kids. Not just that they'll know what to do, not just that they'll do what is right, but they'll be eager to do what is right. Isn't that something you'd like to like for your children to do? 
You don't have children? Pray it for your pastor. I'll gladly take that, that I'll be eager to do what is right. Romans 15, 13. I pray that the God who gives hope will fill you with much joy and peace while you trust in him. Someone in your world needs hope right now. Someone needs peace in the midst of overwhelming crisis and circumstances. Put their name in there and you begin praying. Don't just tell me to pray. It's not just my job to pray. All of us are supposed to pray and maybe God brought them into your life because you can reach them and I can't. A lot of people don't respond to professional Christians. They think I get paid to do stuff. That's why I do stuff. But when you do it, it makes this tremendous impact because they can't understand that. They can't explain it in our United States culture how someone would give up something to help them. And maybe that's what God put them in your life for, was to have that intersection. Ephesians 1.17, I pray God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Someone in your world is making life-changing decisions right now. And they need wisdom and discernment. From God, not from you, not from me. They need it from God. Begin praying their name in that prayer. Ephesians 1, uh, 3.16. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. We know people who are overwhelmed and need God's peace and strength way down deep in their soul. And the Bible says in Philippians that there is a peace of God that surpasses all understanding that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We pray that part of the prayer, but we skip the verse before it. Which says, by all prayer and thanksgiving with supplications, let your requests be made known to God. God says, pray like you've never prayed before. And the result is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on and says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. If there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God lets non-Christians go through crises. He lets Christians go through crises so that a watching world can see the difference in how we react. And too many times I've failed in the middle of crisis. And I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be like Jesus. And I think you do too. Or you wouldn't even be spending your time here on a Sunday morning. Am I right? So let's start accepting, affirming, appreciating people. I want you to take your registration cards real quick. We're going to have the Lord's Supper in a minute. But I want you to do the registration cards first. I want you to look through those points that we've just talked about. Do you need to accept someone? Is there someone you've been really hard on? You've not accepted them in the way they feel accepted? Then you write accept. Do you need to appreciate someone verbally? Do you need to pay attention to someone? Do you need to show appropriate affection to someone? God didn't bring you here for information today. God brought you here for transformation. And the only way transformation happens is if you say, God, what do you want me to know and what do you want me to do? 